Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So we are going to continue a series that we started last week. It was supposed to end today, but I got into my material Friday afternoon. It was like, I just, I don't want to preach for an hour Uh, and nobody else wants me to do that either. So (laughs) what was going to be a two-week series is now going to be extended to next week. But we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last Sunday. We're in the book of Daniel as we journey through the Bible front to back chronologically throughout this year every weekend. We were in Daniel last week, and we're going to continue his story a little bit uh, today as well. We're in this period known in the Old Testament as the exile. So God's people, the ancient Jewish people from Judah, they have been overtaken by the Babylonian Empire. And so now they are under foreign occupation in a foreign country with a foreign culture to them. But what we found last week, and we'll continue to see this week, is that uh, some of the people that are there, Daniel and three of his friends that we'll talk about this morning a bit, they found a way to survive in this environment. Even in a culture that was antagonistic toward their belief system and their own culture, they found a way to survive and thrive and really to make an impact on their culture. And so we are taking sort of three basic ideas from the book and the life of Daniel uh, to kind of show that we are in a very similar situation. Uh, The country that we live in right now is not what it used to be even 30 years ago, 50 years ago, definitely longer than that. Things have certainly changed culturally in our country. And so here's the main thrust of this three-week series is that if you are a Christian, you are automatically also a missionary. So I want you as a follower of Jesus, if you are, to have this mindset. Now, it's like it's weird, but I'm not in a foreign country. Well, you kind of are. I'm not in a foreign culture. Well, you kind of are. Uh, We are increasingly, as I said last week, I believe, getting closer and closer to being in a post-Christian nation. We were founded on certain truths from Scripture, from the Bible. We were founded years and decades, a couple hundred years ago more now, um, on certain moral belief systems, but we have seen those crumble decade after decade, generation after generation. If you missed last week, we cited some of those statistics to kind of set the stage for how dire things really seem to be going. Uh, The projected direction of our country does not seem to be great in terms of spirituality and morality in our nation. And so you have to think of yourself as a missionary in order to reach the culture, in order to have a positive impact on the culture. So that's what we're looking at. Uh, So last week we started this idea with Daniel. And uh, just a quick recap, just basically one or two sentences here. The first um, trait that Daniel possessed that we must possess in order to be effective cultural missionaries is we have to possess the skill to see. So last week we looked at the idea, we want to see our culture clearly and accurately, 
That's why we kind of started out with statistics and some boring stuff to kind of see where we're headed. It's not great. We have to be able to see that to know what the issues are, what the problems are. Then we have to see what God is wanting to do, what he's trying to do uh, through spiritual eyes. So we see the world physically through physical eyes. We also have to see through spiritual eyes what's going on. And then we want to be able to see how God wants to use us to affect positive change in our culture as we're in the belly of the beast, much like Daniel was in Babylon thousands of years ago. So that was last week. Again, there's a lot more detail in there that if you want to find that, um, to look that up next week, we're going to, or this week, uh, we're going to continue. There are two more traits that Daniel and three of his friends that are named in the book of Daniel, they possess that I believe we also have to possess in order to be effective cultural missionaries in the day in which we live. So again, the skill to see was the first one. So here's the second, the second thing that we want uh, to possess in order to make it in this culture and affect change. And that is, secondly, the strength to stand. So we want the skill to see what's going on, but then we have to have the strength to stand in this culture, in the belly of the beast. So Daniel uh, and his friends, they were taken uh, to Babylon from Judah, probably as teenagers, at least Daniel was. We assume this because... Uh, he lived through three or four different kings, two or three different regimes that took over and ate one another, as tends to happen uh, with cycle of regimes, especially in that part of the world at that time, even now. And so he's a young man here. And so what happens is Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they are taken along with a few others, and they are sort of uh, forcibly enrolled into Babylon University, for lack of a better term. They are enrolled in Babylon University, and they're going to study political science, basically. So what Daniel chapter 1 tells us is that they were going to be trained in everything Babylon. They're going to be uh, tr- sort of indoctrinated, if you will, in being, becoming Babylonians. So the king and his people, they took the brightest, the youngest, the strongest, the best looking. They maybe had some sort of ACT test to see who made the cut. I don't know how this process worked. Uh, that some sort of entrance exam required, and they said, okay, cream of the crop, we're going to train them to become the future leaders of Babylon. They're going to learn the Babylonian history and culture and traditions and literature and religion in order to become the next wave of leaders for this empire of Babylon. So what we see here, first of all, is that the public school system has always been an indoctrination machine for the government. Okay, that's nothing new. (laughs) It happened in Babylon. It's the same. Kind of a joke, but not really. All right. So what we see, though, is Daniel and his friends, they showed strength to stand against one part of this plan, at least one part that we see. It seems that they were willing to learn the traditions of Babylon, no problem. It seemed they were willing to go to the school, no problem. Their issue is in the cafeteria of the university. The main issue where Daniel and his friends had to take a stand was the Babylonians ate food that the Jewish people could not eat. It was unclean for them to eat and drink certain things. And so Daniel's like, okay, I can learn your literature, I can learn your religion, I can be trained. He was really strong enough mentally to take that, if we're honest, more than likely. But this is where he had to take a stand. And as we'll see, it doesn't seem like a very big thing. You know, can I have like the vegan menu? Basically is what he asked for before that was a thing. He was cool. He was, you know, a vegetarian before it was cool to be a vegetarian. So he says, hey, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to defile myself. But we see it here in Daniel 1, verse 8. It says this, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat those unacceptable foods. 
because he would be breaking God's law. He'd be breaking his law by eating these foods. So he had to take a stand. He asked for veggies and water. And the chief of staff is concerned. It says he kind of had a soft spot for Daniel and his friends. And he says, okay, guys, these other dudes in your class, they're eating all of the best meats. They're drinking all the best stuff. And they're, you know, they're, they're lifting. They're getting them gains in the gym. And if you guys just eat veggies and just drink water, you're going to shrivel up and become puny and weak. And then when you can't pass your PE class, it's bad news for you. And so he says, again, it doesn't seem like a huge thing, but to the advisor who knows the culture and knows the king says, this is not going to go well. And he even says, my life might be on the line for this. If I let you do this and you get scrawny and weak and they're not just going to kill you, they're probably going to kill me too for allowing this to happen. But Daniel still took a stand and he said, let's do this. Let's do a 10-day trial period, okay, or your money back sort of thing. So he does this 10-day trial. He says, let's just try it out. And after 10 days, we'll do the weigh-in, we'll do the, the gym, we'll do all the stuff in the gym, and we'll see if we can hang with the other boys in the class. And so 10 days go by, only veggies and water, while all the other people are eating everything, the best of the best. And they find, after 10 days, Daniel and his friends are the bestest, fastest, strongest in the entire class. I know that wasn't proper grammar, but you get the idea. They are the best of the best in the class physically, even, af- even after doing this. Why? Because they took a stand. What we see and what we'll see a little bit next week is that God provided for them as they stepped out in faith and obedience to what they felt they needed to do. And so we'll see that here today as well, but also next week on a greater scale. Um, so they, they took a stand and they had the strength to do that and they passed the test. So they continued on that diet throughout. They said, hey, if it works that good, maybe there's something to this. And so they, they stayed on it. So sometime later, some months or years later, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, builds this 90-foot-tall statue to himself. I mean, he really was a very humble guy, obviously, (laughs) building a 90-foot-tall statue of himself. Not only did he build the statue to himself, but if you know the story, you know that he would have everybody in the kingdom come out at certain parts of the day, and they they would blow the trumpets and play the instruments, and then they would command everyone to bow to this 90 foot tall statue in the shape of the king. But Daniel's not named in this story, which I think is interesting. I don't know why he's not named here, but his three friends are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are named in this story. So what happens is everyone in the kingdom is out with this 90-foot-tall statue. The horns blow, the, the instruments play, and everyone bows at the same time to this statue of the king, except for these three young men. Now, it seems like they would be noticed quite a, you know, right away here, but... I guess one of the advisors kind of went to the king and said, hey, everybody's doing a great job. Like they're bowing, it's just going so good, king, except for there's just three. So you think about how many millions of people there are. If you've got three people, three dissenters, pretty good percentage, you know? Like if you have three out of a million, that's a, I'll, I'll take that, right? But the king's like, no, we've got to have 100%. And so he brings these three guys to him. Now remember, he may possibly know them on some personal level. He's kind of handpicked them to be in the, cream of the crop, top of the class, future leaders. So we don't know their relationship. We can possibly assume from that he may have had some interaction with them. And so he pulls them in and he says, hey, here's the deal. We've made this decree. We've got this statue. We've said everybody's going to bow. That includes you guys. I know you think that you're exception to the rule, but you're not. So you've got to bow. And they're like, we're not going to do that. And he says, okay, well, let's just sweeten the pot here. So whoever doesn't bow to the statue is going to be thrown into a furnace and burned alive to death. And they're like, well, yeah, that maybe complicates things, but not really, right? And so he lays down the law, and he says, you got to do this or you're facing certain death, but they take 
a stand. Here's what they say. Uh, Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. They took a stand. They stood face to face against one of the most powerful men alive on the planet at that time. So we, this phrase is used a lot. It's thrown around way too much. Speak truth to power. Okay, this is what that really looks like. Like you complaining to your manager at work in an email, not the same as approaching face to face one of the most powerful people on the planet saying, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do, even if you kill me for it. That is taking a stand. They also notice this, not just that they stand face to face and oppose the king himself, but they also stood when no one else did. Think of the pressure that they're under. Again, we're talking million, two, how many, hundreds of thousands even, and just three of them had the strength to stand. That's pressure. I mean, you talk about peer pressure, that is a great definition of what that looks like to the nth degree. Everyone else bows, everyone else complies, everyone else does exactly as they're told by the head honcho, and they refuse on personal religious grounds because what they're doing here is the idol breaks multiple commandments that it's like so again daniel here it's just like you know just the food thing that they're doing it's a law but this is, these are like big laws like no other gods before me that's a top 10 law no idols that's a top 10 law they're breaking all these laws if they bow and they know that so they refuse they take they literally take a stand figuratively and literally they take a stand they had the strength to do that now, fast forward many, many, many years. Babylon has now been taken over by a different regime. Uh, the Medo-Persians have come in and taken over, so now there's a new king in charge. However, we go back to Daniel now. Even as an older man here, probably, scholars would say, probably in his 80s. So if I said older and you're in your 80s, please don't take offense to that, okay? However, uh, he's graduated from school by this time for sure, okay, guys? So uh, he's, he's in his later years, and, but here's the thing. He has, he's still at the top of the leadership pool. I think there, there's a whole sermon there I don't have time to get into. I don't even have time to get into this today. But we're going to make it, okay? Um, but he's still at the top. Even in a different regime, different king, different nation, he's still there. God has given him this type of favor to still be a powerful person in the belly of the beast. The problem now with this old fuddy-duddy, you know, Daniel, is that the new guys in charge with the king want to take him out. They want to replace the old guard, and they want to step into his position. They don't like that he's got this influence that he has. And so they're trying to find some kind of scandal to run to the press with. Oh, what did he do this time? Or what, what, what kind of dirt? Did he, there's no dirt on this guy at all. So the only thing they can use against him is his religion. The only weapon that these people in this culture can use against Daniel is his belief system. And so they use it against him. They, these men plot and scheme and actually sort of in a way, trick the king into making a new law. The new law says, for the next 30 days, the only prayer anyone can pray must be directed toward the king. 
And so they get him to sign it and stamp it and seal it, sign, seal, delivered, you know, that's the thing. Because they know that multiple times a day, Daniel goes to the same spot at the same times and prays. He goes to his window, opens the window, and prays at certain times a day. And so they know now Daniel's going to have to make a decision. They're going to put his feet to the fire. How dedicated is this guy to his stinking religion? How dedicated is he to serving his God? Will he take 30 days off, you know, from doing that just to save his own skin? Or we, we got him now, boys. But here's what Daniel does. Here's his response. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Daniel had the strength to stand. He literally stood again against the government, against the law that opposed his faith. He stood against the law that conflicted with his faith. He was a rebel, but he had a cause. So there's another reference for you, all right? I was told I use old references, so I must be an old man. I am an old, I admit that. I was born like 73 years old. That's, that's, my, that's who I am. I'm, just, I'm already saying get off my lawn to, to kids in the neighborhood. So. But Daniel had the strength to stand. Daniel, and we'll get to it here in a minute, but he knew it, make, it would cost him. He knew there was a risk involved. He had to weigh the risk. He had to think it through, but he didn't really think very long. He's like, it's just natural. Three times a day, I do this in the same spot at the same time. I'm not going to just give it up. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to cave. I'm not going to give in. He possessed the strength to stand. Let's look quickly at one word that ties all three of these stories together. One simple three-letter word, but. One common word in all three of these accounts that we've just walked through is the word but. Daniel chapter 1, the verse that we just read, it says, But Daniel refused to defile himself by eating the food. Daniel 3, with the fiery furnace, it says, But the, the, the three men, they said, God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. Daniel chapter 6 that we just read, it says, But when Daniel learned about the law, he still went and prayed anyway. So here's what that means for us. If we are going to have the strength to stand in this culture, we have to have a really big butt. Okay? I know I'm stretching, I'm stretching it today, guys, but I just couldn't resist. I could not resist. If we're going to stand in our culture, we have to have a really big butt. Let me tell you what that means. Culture, culture may say this thing is right. But if my Christian belief says it's wrong, then I cannot involve myself in that. I can't agree with that. I can't go along with that. Society may say that this certain behavior or activity is okay, but if God says it's not, then I have to believe it's not. If culture champions certain virtues, but God says those are actually vices you should avoid, not, not virtues you should celebrate, then I have to be okay with that but in the middle of that sentence. If the world pressures me to go along with something that goes against my Christian values, I can't go along with that. If everyone else, like with the idol, everybody else is doing it, but I can't go along. We can't go along. So we have to be able to have the strength to stand. 
So let me ask you, what are you willing to stand for? What are those, what are those things that are just non-negotiables for you? What are those issues that you are like, I will fight over this? Now, I'm not saying let's go out and, you know, burn things down and torch things, okay? So for the record, YouTube, I'm not saying that. Figuratively, figuratively, spiritually, culturally, what are you willing to fight for? What is that thing? I'm not going to cross that line. I'm not going to involve myself in that. I'm not going to agree to that. I'm not going to celebrate and champion that. I'm not going to do that. Let me say with that, though, um, that we, we want to also not just be known what we're against, for what we're against. Okay, I think a lot of times Christians can can do that we're trying to maybe conserve culture we're trying to revert back to maybe the you know 1950s when everything was like so christiany you know not 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 perfect not great but still we kind of revert back to that whatever that time period is for us and so a lot of times we're known for no 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 we're anti this anti that we're against that so yes if you're going to stand for something that means you're standing against something by default obviously automatically however Let's try, as in our stance against things, to have positive solutions to fix those problems. And it can be all sorts of ways that we can do that. It can be that you give to certain things or that you vote for certain people or that you're involved in certain uh, nonprofits or certain charities or whatever that is. There's all sorts of ways to be for things while you actively are against other things. So taking that strength to stand is not just one way, not just one direction. It's not just one-sided. It's got to move both ways. But we have to, do have to ask, when is enough enough? What is that hill that we're willing to die on culturally? What are those beliefs that I just cannot go along? I can't, I can't co-sign on that. I can't just go along to get along. If you're going to have the strength to stand, you're going to need a really big butt, okay? That's what we need, the strength to stand. But this also gets then to the third uh, trait for Daniel here in the book of Daniel. So we need the skill to see we talked about last week, we need the strength to stand, but then, the hardest one of all, we have to have the stomach to sacrifice. The stomach to sacrifice. So, Daniel and his friends, they didn't just stand, but they were willing to risk everything in order to make a stand. That strength required the stomach to sacrifice, to put everything out there, all the chips on the table. I'm going to risk everything that I love, everyone that I know, everything about me. I'm going to put it out there because I believe that strongly in what I'm standing for. Let's go over these three stories again very quickly one more time. So Daniel with the food, what's he sacrificing here? We know what he did, but what's he sacrificing? Well, we know he's sacrificing certainly his future career path. We know he's sacrificing potential power, probably wealth that goes with that title, but he's, you know, he's in the class. He's the head of the class. He's the cream of the crop. He's a future leader in the making. So he's, he's putting all that, sacrificing all of that, all of the influence that he could have, even in a positive way, is out there. He's risking it all. And he's actually, as the chief of staff said, you're risking more than that. You're risking my life for letting you do this. You're probably risking your actual life, not just your future, not just your career, but your life for doing this. And so they actually had to sacrifice their stomachs, literally, but they had the stomach to sacrifice to make that trade. And then Daniel 3 with the idol and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were literally sacrificing their lives. The king made it very clear, you either bow or you burn. There's no option C, there's no door number three, it's bow or burn, baby. And so they said, hey, 
If we have to burn, we're going to burn. We're going to take that stand, and we're going to make that sacrifice. And so they were, they were thrown into the fire. They wouldn't bow. They, they took a stand. They were thrown into this furnace that had been turned up so hot, the guards outside the furnace died from the heat. And they're thrown inside, and they're trying to fight for their lives, but they had the stomach to sacrifice. They refused even when facing death. And then again, Daniel chapter 6, when the, the edict came out, the rule, the law came out, you could only pray to the king for 30 days. Immediately, Daniel goes in and prays to God as normal, even though the law stated that if, you, if you're caught, you know, red-handed, praying to anyone or anything other than the king, it's death by lion's den. So again, Daniel knows I'm sacrificing something. I'm taking a risk. I'm taking a chance to make this stand. So I have to have the stomach to sacrifice. And then the king, who knew that he had sort of been tricked into this plot by, these, by his advisors, he has to follow through with the plan. So Daniel is literally thrown into the lion's den for going against this command. We have to have the stomach to sacrifice. If you're going to stand, you have to be willing to sacrifice. But let's start at a smaller scale for just a second, because we might think, oh, I'm changing the world, you know, changing everything. Let me, let's start small, and then we'll go from there, okay? It's not just if you're going to take a stand in the broader culture that you must sacrifice. The truth is, Jesus tells us, if you're going to follow him, period, there's sacrifice involved. If you're going to live a life of faith at all, on a personal level, it, it involves personal sacrifice, Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So what we see here, and we see in this progression in Daniel 2, uh, the sacrifice starts small and personal, and then it gets larger and more public. So the sacrifice that we have to make in order to affect change in our culture starts small and personal, and then it grows larger and more public. Again, go back to Daniel 1. They, all they did with Daniel 1 was give up some food, give up some meat, give up some other things that were unclean. That was it. That was a personal choice, maybe on a smaller scale, that they were willing to make. But as they were willing to stand and sacrifice in that setting, they were then able to pull off Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. Do you see that? If I start out small, I'm just going to give up some food, and maybe, hopefully, I'm just going to sacrifice my career then when it came to it is your life on the line in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6, they had, built up, uh, they had built up this endurance of sacrifice enough to make a huge stand and a public stand. That's what Jesus is telling us here. This life of faith requires sacrifice. Your personal life, to live it as Christ wants us to live, it requires sacrifice. It requires us taking certain stands in our own small sphere of influence that then, as we build that endurance, can grow. Before we can ever change the culture and tackle the big things, we have to be willing to sacrifice personally. Again, Luke 9.23, we have to deny ourselves. So I have to work on me first, and then I can affect the culture. I've got to deny maybe some of my wishes that I would like to have that God says, that's not for you, right? <laughs> I've got something else. I've got to be willing to take that stand and make that sacrifice. I've got to submit to God's way. That's a sacrifice. That's a stand. There are choices that come along the way personally on a smaller scale that I must be willing to make 
in order to affect change in my own life and then in order for me to affect change in the broader culture. I have to allow Jesus to be in control of my life. His will, not mine. His desires, not mine. The things that he finds pleasure in more than the things that I would find pleasure in. That, that, that's what that requires on a smaller personal scale. But then again, as we build up this endurance personally, and we get used to doing things God's way, and we don't always do it perfectly, okay? We're going to mess up. We're gonna, I'm going to give in to my personal sinful des- fleshly desires at times. So I have to, again, work through that process as God gives grace and helps me to grow personally, spiritually. But as we begin to build up that endurance of sacrifice personally, then we can begin to have and effect more change on a broader scale because here's the deal. You have to build up that endurance personally. You got to have a tough outer exterior, you got to have a tough skin because if you're really serious about affecting change in a broader cultural sense, watch out. It's going to require sacrifice. If we're going to stand in the culture, we also have to be prepared to sacrifice. Jesus also says this. So it gets to the personal level. Now he's getting to the broader cultural level. John 15, verse 18, Jesus says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. How true is that? As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will, also, they will obey yours also. Jesus here is setting us up for this harsh reality that if we really are serious about being cultural missionaries and affecting positive change, it's going to require sacrifice. So we have to have the stomach for it. We have to have the strength to stand and the stomach to sacrifice. Because here's the thing, if you take a stand for truth in the belly of the beast, in the good old U.S. of A., you will face fierce opposition. You will face ridicule. You'll face ostracization. I can't even say it. I want to say ostracization like an ostrich, but you get what I'm saying. And again, I mentioned this last week. We're not quite to this level yet, broad scale. But at some point, some generation down the line will face actual personal danger for following Christ. I hope it doesn't come in our time, you know, in some ways, uh, but it, it will come. Jesus tells us it will come. So we have to ask ourselves, do I have the stomach to sacrifice? Let me give you some quick examples here about what that look, may look like. You may st- have a certain personal religious stance against certain types of lifestyles that may cost you dear relationships. You may have to put those those uh, relationships on the altar of sacrifice because you're going to take a stand. You have to have the stomach to sacrifice and stand true to what you believe, what the scripture says, even if it may cost you family or friends in the process. We have to have the stomach to sacrifice. Sometimes having certain moral positions may cost you a career opportunity because you may be in a situation at your job or to get this promotion, I kind of maybe have to do something that I don't really morally think is appropriate. So I either have to go against what I believe and then, you know, try to weasel my way through, you know, talk myself how this is okay, or I've just got to take a stand and then be willing to sacrifice. 
Or maybe somebody, you know, at your work knows, maybe your personal, hopefully they do, they know your personal stance and your, about your faith. That may cost you something uh, in your career, and it may cost you a promotion, it may cost you a pay raise, it may cost you a lot of things, but we have to have the strength to stand. Having certain religious beliefs may lower your popularity. And that may sound like a small thing, but it is not. Because we all like to be liked. And we all like to have friends. And we all like to be thought well of. Sometimes, in certain cases, having certain core beliefs may cost that status or popularity. Well, there's the holier-than-thou fundamentalist Christian type, and I'm not going to associate with them anymore. Okay? They're, they're just behind the times. They're simple-minded. They're closed-minded. They're a bigot. They're a, they're a this-ist and a that-ist, and it's, like, it's going to come. Okay? If you haven't already experienced that, it's going to come. It comes. So we have to draw those lines in the sand and take, it, and take that stand and make that risk. And one way that we've seen this, and I'm not going to get too much into this, but if you know anything about what's happened on Friday with the Supreme Court, hopefully you stayed off social media. I did not, and I, I just had a, I have a hard weekend looking at social media. Uh, if, if you haven't seen, now here's the deal. I don't know where everybody stands on this issue, but um, I mean, I'm, I'm pro like letting the babies live, just personally. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm for the baby should live. I get that's where I'm at, right? So here's the deal. Um, I have never seen so many hateful people in one place in my entire life. Like Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. The news, like everyone is so angry. Well, not everyone. Certain people are so angry about this thing. And I, part of me is like, okay, you're, you're saying the quiet part out loud here. You're revealing sort of more of the true intention of what this decision really meant than what maybe we tried to couch it in these nice terms. I think that's the problem is we've seen so much anger, resentment, bitterness, hatred, even people that I would not maybe have expected to say certain things in a certain way. It's, it's interesting how certain cultural hotspots will just explode at certain points in history. That's where we are. So if you are on one side of the aisle, you feel like, okay, uh, this is a positive thing that happened okay now if you're on the other you might feel it's a negative but then the problem is we just ah, all the time right and like we talked about earlier and even last week we have to not just be against things but for things so we have to find solutions to help with whatever problems still remain because now there's some new problems that are going to some new issues that are going to come up from this decision that happened on friday and so we have to be ready to answer those questions and try to solve those problems and figure that out and we can't do it if we're just yelling at each other we can't do it if we're just trying to preach at everybody all the time, even if, we're, even if your opinion is the right opinion, okay? Like, even if you feel like, I'm right on this one. I got God on my side. I'm good. It doesn't matter. How we approach it will reveal how effective we will be as a cultural missionary. And I'm preaching to me because I had a hard time. Like, I had to, like, delete some things, right, like, <laughs> that I was going to put. And I was like, oh, that's a good one. Ooh, you know, that's kind of subversive. It's not super offensive, but I know people are going to get offended. So, so you just got to delete like it was just, you know, it's just how it is, okay? Uh, so we ha that's part of being that cultural missionary is kind of knowing where to pick your spots and how to do certain things and how to speak the truth in love but still speak the truth and still be loving. It's not easy to do, is it? But that's what we're called to do in this, uh, in this kind of, even this, in this moment that we are right now. So again, do you have the strength to stand, and do you have the stomach to sacrifice? And maybe you do. Maybe you are more motivated than ever to be that cultural missionary that God's calling you to be. And maybe you are energized, and you're ready to change the world for Jesus. Maybe that's where you are right now in this moment. And I would say, that's awesome. Go for it. 
But maybe you're here today or you're watching later on and you would say, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm quite with you on that. I don't know if, like, I've been trying to stand and my legs are getting shaky. My knees are about to wear out. I can't stand anymore. I've tried and tried, and I've, I've tried to take all of the hits and all the resistance and all the, and I just, I'm tired. I'm about ready to fi- find the white flag and we're done. Or maybe you think, you know what? I've sacrificed a lot for these things that you've been talking about, and I'm kind of, I'm out. Like my, my tank is low, and gas is so expensive, I can't refill it right now, you know? And, and so I just don't know. I, I just can't take it anymore. I can't do it. So if that does describe you, let me leave you as we close with this one verse to encourage you. Maybe you feel like, I don't know if I have the strength to stand. I don't know if I have the stomach to sacrifice. One verse as we close. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul writes this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So maybe you don't feel like you have the strength that you need to stand. God will provide the strength that you need to stand. Maybe you feel like the sacrifices I'm making, it's a lot. Can I just echo what Paul says here? The sacrifices that we're making may be a lot, but they're worth it. It's worth it. It may be difficult to do that. It is. It's not that it may be. It is difficult to take stands. Even though you believe so strongly and you are so certain and you've got the Bible and you've got research and you've got arguments to back up your positions and your beliefs and your stances, it's still hard to make those stands. And it will increasingly become even more difficult as we move along. So it is difficult. It's going to be uncomfortable. We're going to get tired. We're going to get emotional. It's going to be painful. But again, like Paul says, hang on. Stand firm. Don't quit. It's worth it. The cultural work that, we are, that you're trying to do in your neighborhood, with your family, at your job, in your circle of social influence, it's worth the work. It's worth the sacrifice. Just hang on. God will provide the strength that you need, and he'll provide the courage that you need to continue to stand and sacrifice. God has great things in store. The work seems like a lot. The job seems really big, but hang on, through God's power, as we'll talk about next week, and through his spirit, we can do this. We can make the cultural change and the spiritual change that we all want to make and are trying to make, even in the belly of the beast. Let's pray. God, we we are aware, we, we do see the world around us. We see the culture around us, and I would assume that most in the room are noticing that decline. The cultural decline, the moral decline, the spiritual decline. We are, just like Judah was, we are going further and further away from you. And just like these people in Babylon, this is foreign territory that we are in. This is not the country that we knew even a couple decades ago. This is not the country that any of us grew up in. Things have certainly changed. And it seems like there's so much to do and so many problems and so many emotions and so many issues. But God, help us to have the strength to stand. Help us to not cave. Help us to not bow. Help us to not just go along to get along. Now, we want to speak the truth in love, and you'll help us to do that, too. We want to have grace for people, and you'll help us to do that, too. But help us to remain strong and firm and steadfast in the work that you have for us to do. Even if we feel alone, everybody else is going along. 
Help us to say, I'm not going to go along because I believe that God has something different. Give us the strength to stand. God, give us the stomach to sacrifice as we face opposition, as we experience sometimes loss or pain or discomfort or it's just uncomfortable or awkward or I missed out on this because of my beliefs or I've been ridiculed because of my stance on this issue. God, give us a continual stomach to sacrifice because it's worth it. The task seems large and the culture seems like it is a lost cause, but it is not. We believe that you can reverse the course of any nation. We believe that you are sovereign over every country, every regime, every leader, every government, every person. We know that you are in control. And so we lean into that truth today as we have the strength to stand and the stomach to sacrifice to make significant, positive cultural change in our world. So thank you for that truth and that power and that confidence and encouragement today. And I pray that we would leave this place empowered to make more of a difference than ever before by your spirit and for your glory. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.